This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. As the federal election campaign wraps up, Fight Back tried to drill down on what the main party leaders are offering the Zoomer demographic. As Libby suggested while speaking with the Zoomer squad on Monday, she thinks they're not offering much because they're all assuming older Canadians won't vote in their usual numbers because of the pandemic. Joining in for the discussion, Peter Mugrich, senior editor of Zoomer magazine, David Kravitz, chief membership officer at CARP and vice president here at Zoomer Media, and filling in this past Monday, John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion. The, the ballot question is shaped by the parties, and right now it's, it really has nothing to do with policy. Uh, what's, what we're seeing and hearing in the last 10 days of this campaign is an attack on either the NDP or the Conservatives from the Liberals on a series of issues like gun control, abortion, um, environment, and things like that, so that Mr. Trudeau can bring back those liberals that deserted him when the election got underway. So there, you're absolutely right. The way you summed it up at the very beginning, there really isn't anything on the um, on the plate for people who are older. And secondly, um, the COVID situation may cause some uh, barriers to those people going out to vote, um, both in terms of concerns about COVID, but also in the fact that we have lost a number of opportunities to have polling booths in different regions. So I think that kind of sums up where we are. David, what do you think? Will Zoomers vote based on the policies they see in front of them, or are they voting? Is this a leadership question? Well, well, I, I think it's it's more, uh, I said last week, it's a vibe election. I think it's just their overall feelings about the leaders. There's not that much to choose because I think all parties have perfected the art of looking at the seniors and seeing how many boxes can we check off. I don't really remember uh, an election where there was any big policy or ideological uh, division um, among the parties where it came to the so-called seniors vote. It's just hand out the goodies and and check the boxes. And uh, it's how do you feel about um, the leaders? And I think it is an old axiom that uh, governments aren't elected, they're defeated. And I think this election is really a referendum on Trudeau more than on uh, some big policy breakthrough that's going to change things for Zoomers. Peter? Yeah, I agree. There's been very little talk of, um, you know, a policy that's going to shift the older Canadians vote or even interest it, you know. So so I think David's right. It, it's it's a referendum on, on the job Trudeau did during... Um, during the pandemic, and whether we want to give them uh, free reign to go forward and and keep and uh, plan the recovery. Mm-hmm. There was, especially at the beginning, a lot of anger against Trudeau. The consensus was that he didn't really do very well in the debate. But but John, we're seeing his polling numbers recovering now. Well, what's that about? 
Well, you're right. There still is a lot of anger across the country in terms of actually having an election during this time. Um, and and the, the numbers are up a little bit. And I always look at the methodologies of the polls. And just for your lead, your listeners, I mean, there's all kinds of different ways you do polls. Most of the ones that we're looking at now are rolled up results where they kind of do the polling over the last three or four nights and they kind of roll them up and give us the results today so it averages out. But what it's showing is that there was a bump last week for the Liberals. I don't know whether that's going to sustain for the last week, um, but certainly we only need to elect a fraction. Um, we only need to have a fraction of the voters elect uh, a government in this country. It comes to about 37%, but we're seeing the Liberals at around 33 or so right now. So they're far from obtaining a majority, and the other ones are still in the hunt for you know, forming potentially a, a minority government. It's up to us to get out and vote. Um, the test will be whoever the winner is. Um, are they going to say thank you on with the rest of our agenda? Are they going to pay any attention? And are these votes being taken for granted? Part of that story will be told at the election and part of it after the election when I think the real work begins. David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion. And Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Also on Monday, Libby welcomed special guest, Conservative Leader Aaron O'Toole, and asked him for his elevator pitch of why his party has the best to offer older Canadians. We're the only party that put out a detailed plan for our future. We call it Canada's Recovery Plan, Securing Our Future, and that includes for seniors. The biggest, the biggest issue facing our country right now is the cost of living crisis. And if you're a senior on a fixed income, that squeezes you harder than anyone else. So we've seen groceries go up, the cost of of gas, of of everyday items skyrocketing. And Mr. Trudeau in this election said, oh, he doesn't worry about monetary policy because it doesn't impact families. Well, if inflation is creeping up as it is to record highs, that does impact people. So we have a number of programs to get uh, give Canadians a break. We're going to double the Canada workers' benefit for some of the people transitioning into retirement. We're going to double that so that they're taking more home. We're going to give a GST holiday in December, give everyone a bit of a break and help bricks and mortar retailers in the process because it will be for in-person purchases. We've got some policies to get uh, bills down for wireless and and for internet using more competition. Uh, We're going to go after some of the, some of the anti-competitive practices we've seen in grocery and other things uh, to get prices down there as well. And then we've got innovative programs like the Dine and Discover, little little breaks that will give people uh, some more money in their pocket and will help the hard-hit travel, hard-hit restaurant sector. So we put together a very comprehensive program to give seniors, to give Canadians a break, Libby. Mr. O'Toole, um Let's go to long-term care. We've seen the carnage. We've seen very different outcomes and responses from province to province, which is why stakeholders, advocates are saying we need national standards. Uh, but y- you say that you don't want to impose national standards. Uh, how can you still say that the provinces know best? I mean, even between the first and second wave, some did some things to mitigate the outcome. Others did not. Well, I'm glad you raised this because in the first wave of the pandemic, 
Um, <clears throat> I was the first politician to call for the use of the military in our long-term care to give extra support to deal with a crisis where we saw the gaps exposed. This is the difference between having a prime minister like Mr. Trudeau, who reads what is given to him, or someone like me, who served in the military that's used to adapting. And what we need to do is fill the gaps that were exposed in long-term care, um, especially in Ontario and Quebec. But this is an issue across the country. And we're putting $3 billion specifically into uh, infrastructure improvements in long-term care facilities that the provinces can draw on. That's in addition, Libby, to our record 10-year investment of almost $60 billion in our public health care system. We want to influx a lot of resources into our system to fix the gaps and to secure our public health care system. The issue about Ottawa controlling things or, or tying things is is actually not how our system works. We need to build partnerships again in Canada, not have uh, Ottawa fighting various premiers like we've seen with Mr. Trudeau. We need to work together. We need to fill the gaps in long-term care especially, and we're putting the funds and the impetus to do this. And Ottawa can say whatever it wants. It's the provinces that are the lead here, so we're going to give them the tools to make the, the fixes needed. Every province has identified this as a critical gap area, Libby. Our country wasn't ready for a pandemic like this. So what we're going to do is be a funding partner, as I said, with that $3 billion fund to improve the infrastructure, the physical long-term care homes. Then we're also going to give a lot more predictable long-term funding for our health care system to allow provinces to come up with multi-year plans to fix this. And we will partner with them. We will, uh, we will help wherever we can. But Ottawa does not administer the health care system, and that's just a simple reality. So I think Mr. Trudeau plays a lot of politics here, but as we've seen, he never delivers on anything, from uh, budget commitments to, to boil water advisories. He always fails. Federal Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole in conversation with Libby Snymer on Monday. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, a new COVID variant is concerning scientists. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. While the Delta variant of COVID-19 continues to be the dominant strain of the virus around the world, scientists are alerting us to a new variant called Mu, M-U. It's already been detected in Ontario and contains a set of mutations indicating it could be resistant to neutralizing antibodies from vaccination and infection. To help us understand how the Mu variant works, Libby was joined by epidemiologist Dr. Timothy Sly at Ryerson University School of Occupational and Public Health. Well, its uh, proper name is B1621, but of course it's more easy to uh, have Mu drip uh, off your tongue. Um, it seems not to spread 
rapidly or remarkably rapidly. I don't think she's going to take over anything. It started, as you said, at the top in South America, particularly Colombia. Something like 39% of the isolations there are for this particular type. And Ecuador, just over the borders, I think it's about 13%. But that's where it began. It was first identified. Of course, these things are always identified where there's a lot of viral replication going on. Uh, and it, it's, it is spreading. I believe it's in something like 39 different countries now, uh, but it takes up something like about 1%, I less than 1% of the cases uh, uh, identified in Canada. Mm-hmm, but it is here. It's here, but I really don't. We need to keep an eye on it, and the virologists are doing that at the moment. But I don't think we need to get too worried about it at the moment. The one, the one problem with it is it seems to be more able to escape the antibodies, both in convalescent people who had the infection and from people who've been vaccinated, a little bit more than the other variants. What do you mean by that? Well, it means that the the antibodies, which is the your protection, either through having had the infection and convalescent, your antibodies you produce yourself, or the antibodies given to you by uh, produced by stimulated by a vaccine. Either way, um, uh, that's your protection. And this this particular variant seems a little more able to resist. those antibodies. But it doesn't seem to be able to spread as rapidly as the others, as far as we know at the moment. And that's good news. Because what we're really afraid of is the ones that is the uh, is the spread. That's what gave Delta the the dominance over all the other variants. It just spread around the world because it could spread so rapidly from person to person. And in fact if a variant becomes more pathogenic, of course it's not good news for the individual patient. But it doesn't mean to say it's going to spread more rapidly throughout the country or throughout the globe. There are a couple of papers in in Nature Journal just in the last uh, couple of weeks, one by Collier and another by Wong, uh, which showed that it doesn't respond as uh, as effectively to the antibodies as the previous variants do. It doesn't mean to say the vaccines are totally useless. It just means that they don't. You remember, you remember when, when, they, when the Alpha and Delta came along, we said that, well, now we have to look at the effectiveness of the vaccine slightly less. You know, it's where it was 94%, it was now about 88% effective. Do you remember we, we saw yeah. that back a number of months ago? Well, this, once, once we got some more data coming in and we got a number of people to test this on, find out that that's probably going to be dropped a little more. But the vaccines will probably still work, but not as effectively as before. But as I said, that's not the, that's not what's, what makes a variant spread. What makes it spread is that if efficacy of, of uh, getting into your body and moving into your cells and then coming out again and doing the same thing again. And uh, just to be more, more pathogenic means that a person is becoming more ill when they get it. That's about the, uh, the, uh, the totals we can see it at the moment. Do, do we have any sense of whether it makes people sicker than the Delta or the previous variants? Well, it's probably more likely to to become uh, ill, if, if, and this was the worry here, as you rightly say, the worry is what about the people who've been vaccinated? So far, this seems to be uh, a drop in effectiveness, but the vaccines are still the way to go. It's still going to be your protection. You hang on to that. That's your life jacket, your life belt. But it would probably mean, as I said, we need far more data. There's very few cases in Canada. But it may well be that the, that the, the vaccines will protect you a little bit less than 
the previous uh, then it would take the previous variants. Uh, but we need more data to come in and uh, to find out what's really happening here. Epidemiologist Dr. Timothy Sly at Ryerson University School of Occupational and Public Health. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. As if contracting COVID-19 isn't bad enough, according to the World Health Organization, one in four people infected with the virus experience a post-COVID-19 condition for at least one month. One in 10 people experience symptoms lasting beyond 12 weeks. A newly released report by Ontario's COVID-19 Science Advisory Table has found between 57,000 and 78,000 people in the province had or are currently experiencing one of 200 post-COVID-19 conditions following their initial diagnosis. While filling in for Libby on Thursday, I was joined by two members of the science advisory table to talk about long COVID, Dr. Peter Uni and Dr. Fahad Razak. The 200 is a pretty broad number and, you know, it highlights that some of the symptoms can be distinguished, uh, can be hard to distinguish from other things that make people feel unwell. But there are these core symptoms that seem to be reported by a lot of people and they include things like Fatigue, which can be really severe or disabling, um, persistent shortness of breath, uh, problems with their heart rate, like racing hearts, um, pain in muscles or joints, and trouble thinking clearly. Uh, a lot of people will describe this as brain fog. How are their lives affected by this long COVID syndrome? Do, and do they technically have the virus when they are experiencing these symptoms, or are they virus-free? Yeah, so the... The symptoms um, seem to be driven by uh, parts of your body responding to the virus uh, after the virus has already cleared or damage that's lingered from that initial viral infection. So two kinds of ways it can happen. So during that initial infection, the virus may have infiltrated your heart or your lungs and caused damage, which leaves you with persisting symptoms, or it's part of the abnormal response. Your immune system ramps up or other parts of your body start to respond abnormally to the initial infection, and you develop those symptoms. And that's what seems to persist for that, especially we think about 10%. And that's a conservative number. We'll continue to have these symptoms lasting many months or longer. I guess that's what you don't know, right? Beyond the period of 12 weeks, uh, because COVID is so new to the world, uh, as to whether these symptoms might end up being chronic. Yeah, this is the real concern. And, you know, there's a couple of ways to look at this. So the the studies that have looked at the very very earliest waves of COVID-19 that spread through China have followed people now for 12 months. And and they're finding that still around 10% of people have some symptoms which which can be disabling. And and in that study, for example, about 10% of people weren't able to return to their normal work. And this is 12 months out from the initial infection. Now, we also have other coronaviruses that have swept through uh, previously, for example, SARS. It seems to be similar in SARS as well, although, of course, corona, uh, COVID-19 is on a much, much larger scale. Dr. Peter Uni joins us now. He is the scientific director of the Ontario COVID-19 Science Advisory Table and has become a regular guest here on Fight Back. I know you heard some of uh, what your colleague, Dr. Razak, was talking about there. Uh, I didn't ask him 
if long-term COVID, long COVID, is associated with all variants of the virus and whether it potentially has more severe symptoms um, related to the Delta variant? Yeah, we actually don't know whether uh, there would be any change in the risk or in severity now with Delta, but it's indeed just, it holds for everything. All the different variants, long COVID is here to stay. Um, It was an issue at the beginning and it's still an issue now. How much of an incentive uh, could knowing about long COVID be for those who are vaccine hesitant? I don't know. Look, what really would be helpful is for all those who are out there who still haven't received the vaccine to talk to somebody who either actually experienced how it is to uh, be hospitalized or who experiences how it is um, to uh, to have long COVID. Uh, as Fahad, you know, it's the same for me as well. I have colleagues out there, you know, completely sportive, fit as hell, much fitter than I am, etc. Completely knocked out, uh, some of them now for more than a year. Dr. Peter Uni is scientific director of the COVID-19 Ontario Science Advisory Table. And Dr. Fahad Razak is an internal medicine physician at St. Michael's Hospital and a member of the Science Advisory Table. They were in conversation with me on Thursday. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Ruth in Toronto phoned with her opinion on the main federal parties. I think people are forgetting that between the Liberals and the Conservatives, there's quite a big difference. And we forget that the Conservatives, when they came into power, took away a lot of money in all the different areas that we require, whether it was education, whether it was health, wherever the need was. And, my God, what happened with the retirement homes and the long-term homes? Are people so, you know, not aware what happened to the people who passed away? And the liberals who did step up to the plate and did present provide money to people who were out of jobs and who needed help with monies uh, that would keep them in, in, in their home or in their apartment and put food on the table. They're forgetting all those things that that man did and his government. And I'm referring to both the Liberal government and the Conservative government that didn't do it. Sharon in London phoned about the federal election. I felt there should definitely not have been an election at all. There was no need for this. It's spending a lot of money a lot of time, a lot of resources away from what should be um, front and center in this election. Which is? Well, the pandemic and the situation with Afghanistan and the health situation and the seniors' homes. There are so many things like that that, that need some help. And I know that, that health is, is a provincial issue, but I really think that, that there should be some national standards. Some of the policies of the, of the government, for example, giving 
$500 to seniors who are over 75 and totally leaving out those 65 to 74. Um, I think it should have been across the board, but to those who needed it. Carolyn in Halliburton called with her thoughts in the final days of the election campaign. The issue, I think, for most of us has become leadership. Um, a lot of the parties make lots of promises, but um, I just look back at the Liberals and Mr. Trudeau. I look at the ethics convic- convictions, the Lavalin and the Wee scandals, the broken promises on the Indigenous peoples that have been in the works for years, but very little has happened. COVID itself is an issue. We were late with our vaccines. Yep. I know he's thrown money at us since, but that to me was unacceptable. I look at what's happened in Afghanistan. Uh, again, too little, too late, and not enough. Long-term care, that's uh, something that's going to haunt us for a very long time. And I think by passing things down to the provincial level, they sort of use that as a scapegoat and things are just not happening as as they should. Inaction on the recommendations that have been made and it's just, it's pitiful. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Pat in Toronto, who phoned about his wish for a change in how our ballots are counted. You know, one of the things that hit me uh, watching a lot of CNN is the aspect that in the U.S., 18% of the population can basically control the U.S. Senate. And if you remember in the last election, one of the things that Trudeau was talking about was having this electoral reform, but it was sort of that all your votes would count, uh, whereas some of us are in a riding where we're wasting our vote uh, because it will be a clear majority for one or the other. Um, I think that's very important to get back to that idea because this, you know, ties in with the thing we all learned in high school of rep by pop, representation by the population, and we really don't have it today with the way the system is working. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fight Back Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.